And now, dear Lord, I'd like you to make me just a nail on the wall to hold a wonderful picture, a beautiful picture, the picture of Jesus in his place. Thank you in thy lovely name. Amen. A lot of questions, as we mentioned at the other service, a lot of questions have come in. <laughs> I can't tell you how it affects me when I realize that I can't answer all the questions. Here we've invited people to put them in, and, and it'll take two weeks of meetings like this to answer them all. But we'll go as far as we can, and we have a couple fine young people here, some here they are. Thank you, Brother Joyful and Sister Happy. Thank you. <clears throat> Why can't Adventists wear jewelry? The Israelites did, and they were God's people. Thank you. Every one of these questions I have found are sincere. Every one is sincere. Uh, God nowhere tells us we can't wear jewelry. Aren't you glad? <laughs> the key word is the word adornment. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 3. And Titus, and 1 Timothy 2, 9. It's, it's adornment. In other words, we're not to adorn our bodies that are soon going back to dust. <laughs> you see. I have jewelry. I have a watch right here. Hello. <laughs> and you have. That's jewelry. God doesn't have a, a, a gripe against jewelry. <laughs> He just wants us, the Bible says, and you know, this has bothered me for years. I found that in almost every congregation of which I've been a pastor, there's been one or two little old ladies or little old men who will come along and start inspecting everybody else's garments when they should be inspecting themselves. You know, it's like... Uh, it's like the story I heard last night. A lady walked up to a ministry, had a little red in his tie. And she said, Pastor, <laughs> I have something for you. And she picked out her, her scissors and cut the tie off. She said, now you're perfect. <laughs> and he said, I have something for you. Would you loan me the scissors? Now stick out your tongue and I'll cut that off and you'll be perfect. <laughs> So the Lord doesn't want us to go around and zero in on things. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 3 tells us there's an adorning. And I'd tell some of those little old witches and wizards. <laughs> You've missed the whole story. It says don't go in on the outward adorning, but it says adorn yourself with Jesus. In other words, be a winsome individual. And oh, how many people I've seen that go around saying, let's see, what do you have? And they don't look winsome. They look like little she-devils or little he-devils. They don't look happy in Jesus because they've missed the, the whole boat. The minor part is to lay off the external adorning. The major part is to be winsome and pleasant and joyful and kind and sweet. Thank you. Next. My sister is turning away from the church and against my parents. What can I do? 
Number one, <laughs> don't preach at her. I found the great zeal on the part of thousands of our church members is, if they see somebody that makes a mistake, they think at once they must become a little preacher. They aren't even a deaconess. How come they can be a preacher? And they think it's their duty to <laughs> straighten a person out. There are several laws of God. The Ten Commandments are based on what? Love. Love cannot function without choice. Therefore, when, when I go to somebody, he may be on drugs, he may be committing any one of other sins, and I go to him and I start preaching at him, I'm completely out of place. There's a better way to handle it, and it is this. Mark 5, 19. The two men out of whom the devils were cast. They'd never heard a sermon from Jesus. They wanted to accompany Jesus. He said, no. He said, you go back home and you tell your friends and neighbors how great things the Lord has done for you and the Lord has had compassion on you. I have found in my ministry there's nothing that'll help people so much as for me to ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit not to pounce on them at all, but to give them hope by, by revealing to them a story of somebody else who has found deliverance. And the Holy Spirit will say to them, if that person could find deliverance, you can too. So, first of all, may the Lord help us to have the right kind of a life, Acts 1.8. And then, I can tell stories about somebody else. I've gone into people's homes. I remember I went to a man's home. He wanted to join the church and he used tobacco and he knew that church members are not supposed to use tobacco. And we went into his home and and, and how am I going to tell him now? He didn't ask me to come and tell him not to use tobacco. What am I going to do? How am I going to go about it? So I said, brother, I'm sorry you couldn't been to our meetings. You live so far away. Since you couldn't come to revival, we've come to bring the revival to you. The Lord is doing some wonderful things there. And I zeroed in on some people who had found deliverance over tobacco. I never even intimated that he did. And I said, the Lord is richly blessing. I said, now just before we go, should we have a little word of prayer? Is there anything you'd like to have us pray for? He said, yes, I'd like to stop using tobacco. <laughs> See, I didn't point that out. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I shared with him the blessings that others received, the deliverance they get. And that man received deliverance right then within the hour. Next, thank you. I've heard pastors from different religions. Which religion should I believe and why? Isn't that beautiful? This is, this is what we do. First uh, John 2, 6. He that saith I abideth in him ought to so walk even as he walked. Just keep her eyes fixed on Jesus. The price of heaven is Jesus. Lord Jesus, what would you do? What does the Bible say you did? I want to do what you would do. It's so easy for us to get our, our eyes on somebody else. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Look unto me and you'll be saved, Isaiah 45, 22. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. By beholding him, we're changed the same image, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Next one, thank you. What should you do if you feel that you are going to the church only because your parents want you to? You believe in God, but you don't feel like going to church, or the church does not give you anything interesting. That's a very good question, and I think what we covered in the, uh, the first segment, I think that covers it. 
The reason why we can enjoy religion is because of other things we watch, listen to, or read. I've gone into church, and that isn't the only reason. Also, if I take a pharisaical attitude as I go into church, and I think, let's see now, my, what that preacher is saying, oh, I wish so-and-so were here. He needs it. No, I can't enjoy it. I went to church with a young couple in college some time ago. We had one Sabbath off. We very seldom have a Sabbath off. Uh, the, the minister who preached was not very interesting. At the close, as we went over to eat dinner with this couple, the young man said, I didn't get anything out of that. And after he expostulated a while, I said, may I ask you a question? When you went into church this morning, did you ask the Lord to feed your soul? Well, he said, of course not. I said, of course, that's why he didn't. I said, I went into church and I asked God to give me a blessing. I said, I came out of church with three distinct blessings. Blessed they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You see, Matthew 5, 6. Next, thank you. If you have sinned but want to be good, how can you still get into heaven? Is there really life after death? Those are two questions. The first is, if I have sinned and want to be good, is there an answer? Yes. First John, the second chapter. These things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What about backsliding? Hosea 14, 4, I'll heal your backsliding. I'll love you freely. And what was that second question? Please. Is there really life after death? Yes. Is there life after death? Yes. I love 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. <laughs> yes. Yes. Next. Thank you. All right. How can Adventists clearly define God's word? Why do people spend so much time on defining the Word of God? Uh, the way to define the Word of God is found in uh, 2 Peter 1.20. It says there's no, no scripture that's of any private interpretation. In other words, we're to let the Bible interpret itself. And one of the best ways to let the Bible interpret itself, there are two special ways. One is to always notice the context then we know what he's talking about, you see. If we take a text out of context, it becomes a pretext. For instance, there was a minister speaking before his people in the days when ladies wore big hats that had a top knot. And the minister got fed up, so many of the ladies were wearing that kind of hat that people in back of them couldn't see him. <laughs> so he went to Matthew 24, and that morning, he read from Matthew the 24th chapter, top knot, come down. The context was this, as Jerusalem is compassed with armies, let him that is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. <laughs> he took these words from the context, top not come down. The way to be sure that we are in the truth is as we study a text, be sure we read the context. Secondly, read all the texts we can find on that subject. And we'll be amazed what it'll do for us. Next question. Thank you. 
How can you explain the beliefs or doctrines of Seventh-day Adventism without using a lot of SDA cliches? That's good. We don't even need to use any. <laughs> I've been embarrassed as I've heard a lot of people use cliches that uh, these cliches aren't necessary. And many times guests come in, they don't know what it's all about. Talk about the third angel's message. There is a third angel and there's a third angel's message. But we should be careful in our churches because we want guests to be there to enjoy the Lord. We, hear, we talk about health reform. They say, well, what's that? What kind of a reform is that? Uh, what uh, civil enactment is that? You see, there, there are ways to say it that's good. Healthful living, <laughs> you see. The messages of God, instead of the third angel's message, the message of God, one is the first angel's message. You'll find it in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then there's a second angel's message, Revelation 14, 8. Then there's a third angel's message. You see, we should bear in mind that they're guests. We want the guests to come and enjoy the Lord. Thank you. Is it enough to try to show Christ's love to others in your everyday life? Or do you have to sell Seventh-day Adventism or Christianity like a product, door-to-door, -door, whatever? We do both. Number one, we live it. John 1, 4. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. That's first. What good will it do if I go out as a witness and my life doesn't witness, you see? Then I can go. But I don't have to go from door to door and pounce on people. We can go to our neighbors and, and maybe mow the lawn. Or in some way that they feel we're a contribution to them, then they will kind of fall in love. I know of a, a fine Adventist lady who, whose next door neighbor was, instead of raking her leaves, she was, she was sweeping them. <laughs> and our fine Seventh-day Adventist lady thought, well, maybe I can help her. So she rushed over and she said, look, I have a rake. Uh, may I bring it? And the lady was so embarrassed, she said, I prefer to sweep my leaves. But our good Adventist lady said, well, let me go and get my rake. She got the rake, came over and loaned the rake to her. Later, they were both going to the same church. Just find what we feel might be a contribution to somebody else. I find that in my life, for instance, a lady in Madison when I was there, I just, it just came to my mind now. She had a boy in service. She was praying that this boy might come home alive. And uh, as I was in her home, she stepped out in the other room for a moment and I, I said to the Lord, Lord, give me a, some kind of a good promise for her. And I opened, the Lord helped me to open to the very text that says, Lord, the handmaiden's child will come home. And I read it to her. Why she felt I was a contribution to her, you see. Next, thank you. What makes people not believe in the creation of the world? The Bible says the main reason is found in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. It says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They are vain in their imaginations. They didn't want to know what was light. You see... If the human heart does not want to face a judgment, then it's a wonderful thing for them not to believe in creation. If we believe in a creator, then we have to also believe that the creator will sometime take us to an account. But if, if, 
If we weren't created, we don't have to worry about a judgment. This is one of the big reasons. That's the only one, but that's one. Thank you. Why is it important to keep our body clean when we know we're going to die anyway? First Corinthians, the third chapter, and the 16th verse says, Our bodies are the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. You see. So as we travel along, the view of Seventh-day Adventism is that we're to present to God our whole body, soul and spirit, threefold being, mind, body, soul, you see. And one affects another. You see, the only way God can get through to me is through my brain. The only way he can get through to you is the brain. So if we keep the body clear and the brain clear, then God can speak to us. First Peter, First uh, Corinthians three sixteen. Next one, thank you. How do you help someone who has a quote drug problem when they are really old enough, old enough to know better? <coughs> it's hard to say anything without them getting upset. Yes, and in a sense, they have a right to get upset. If they think I'm preaching at them, they have a right to get upset. Instead of taking them on, let me, in a very careful way, claiming the promise of the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen. Tell us, or something wonderful happened. And I'm telling this person kind of in an offhand way about somebody who had a problem. <clears throat> that type of problem, you see. I don't even insinuate that he has it. Look at the wonderful way he reached out. He took a hold of God's promise of Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 that God would deliver. He asked God to deliver him. <clears throat> he bent his whole being in believing that God was delivering him. It's wonderful what happened. And the other man listens. <clears throat> he doesn't feel under condemnation from me because I've not gotten up on holy stilts. Next. What is the unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin, <clears throat> pardon me, maybe I ought to read it. I think it's one, of, here's one of the simplest texts. There are many on it. But here's one of the simplest texts. Here it is in... Uh, in Mark chapter 3, 28, verse 28 and onward. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Jesus told them that the unpardonable sin was for them to, to say that the work of the Holy Spirit was the work of the devil. Now that didn't come instantly. As the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, John 16, verse 8. If I refuse his conviction and I refuse to do what 1 John 1, 9 says, and I don't confess my sin, the sin that is not confessed can't be forgiven. And if I keep building up and don't confess my sins when the Holy Spirit points them out, little by little, I let the devil come over and come into my life until finally I will accuse the Spirit of God as being the Spirit of the devil. Next question. What should you do when you have an ability to influence people or people copy you, but you're not the best person in the world? I like that. Isn't that, that that's, hum, that's humility. That person is saying, I'm not the Christian I like to be, and yet I notice I have an influence. It is a challenge, isn't it? Why not go to the Lord and claim a promise like Philippians 2.13?
it is God that works in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then say, Lord, help me like you helped me. Help me as you helped me to turn from that which will take away my relish from your word. Then I can reach out and take hold of your word and bend my whole being into believing, you see, and it can happen. All right? Now, you may want to read two or three of these now. Is it really right for the church to lean on Ellen White's writings instead of using the Bible? <clears throat> and does the church let females become ministers, not just chaplains? Thank you. And would you read a couple more there? Thank you. And with that, we'll, go to, we'll close. We only have a couple minutes left. My dad and mom say that Ellen White says that girls or ladies should not wear <coughs> men's clothing, that is, jeans, because of the zippers in the front. I still don't understand why. Uh, there are a lot of people that have come to our meetings, speaking of this, first of all, there are a lot of people come to our meetings, older people particularly, who have felt that if a girl wears <laughs> jeans, <laughs> that uh, she's being rebuked by the Lord. <laughs> they don't stop to realize <clears throat> that when Deuteronomy chapter 22 is written, saying a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, that men and women both wore dress-like garments. That's right. So what is it talking about? It's talking, as best I've understood, about homosexuality. That we must be careful and not wear the type of garment that would excite homosexuality. I can't go into it more because we want to cover a little bit regarding Ellen White. Was there another one regarding her? Thank you. What are your feelings on the outburst of people about Ellen G. White's <coughs> writings not being inspired? Thank you. I have just done 15 uh, radio broadcasts on Ellen G. White. And I have entitled them The Greatest Prophets Since John the Baptist. They are now being aired at uh, St. Helena at PUC. They're going to be aired at, uh, at our uh, college in Texas, Brother Newharth, right? And several other of our college radio stations. The Greatest Prophets Since John the Baptist. The reason is I have found in her writings constant challenges to look to Jesus Christ. A constant challenge to take every word of God just as it is. No wonder the devil hates her. Greatest prophet since John the Baptist. I hope that it may be aired here also in time. Brother Newharth is now working on it and I hope it can be. And we can thank the Lord. If anyone has any doubt, my father, when he was a young man, felt that Ellen White was not a true prophet. He decided to write a book against her. But he said, before I do it, I must read her writings to be sure. When he read a few days, he said, this is inspired by the Lord. She's uplifting Jesus. She is uplifting the word of God. And he became a tremendous promoter of the true prophet. Thank you so much, shall we pray. Dear Lord, there are people right here this, at this very session under the influence of your Holy Spirit who are deciding by God's grace to claim your promise and your power and your deliverance for any of these programs, any of this literature that leads us into sex and violence and takes away our taste for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. You're giving them that decision. They're sincere. They want to be happy. They have a right to be happy. They will be happy in you. Thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.